Chapter Thirty Five of Tales of a Traveler by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Wolfert Weber or Golden Dreams, Part Three. Wolfert gradually awoke from his dream of wealth as the year declined. He had reared no crop to supply the wants of his household during the sterility of winter. The season was long and severe, and for the first time the family was really straitened in its comforts. By degrees a revulsion of thought took place in Wolfert's mind, common to those whose golden dreams have been disturbed by pinching realities. The idea gradually stole upon him that he should come to want. He already considered himself one of the most unfortunate men in the province, having lost such an incalculable amount of undiscovered treasure. And now, when thousands of pounds had eluded his search, to be perplexed for shillings and pence was cruel in the extreme. Haggard care gathered about his brow. He went about with a money-seeking air, his eyes bent downwards into the dust, and carrying his hands in his pockets, as men are apt to do when they have nothing else to put into them. He could not even pass the city almshouse without giving it a rueful glance, as if destined to be his future abode. The strangeness of his conduct and of his looks occasioned much speculation and remark. For a long time he was suspected of being crazy, and then everybody pitied him. At length it began to be suspected that he was poor, and then everybody avoided him. The rich old burghers of his acquaintance met him, outside of the door when he called, entertained him hospitably on the threshold, pressed him warmly by the hand on parting, shook their heads as he walked away, with the kind-hearted expressions of, Poor Wilfert, and turned a corner nimbly, if by chance they saw him approaching as they walked the streets. Even the barber and cobbler of the neighborhood, and a tattered tailor in an alley hard by, three of the poorest and merriest rogues in the world, eyed him with that abundant sympathy which usually attends a lack of means, and there is not a doubt but their pockets would have been at his command, only that they happened to be empty. Thus everybody deserted the Weber mansion, as if poverty were contagious, like the plague. Everybody but honest Dirk Waldron, who still kept up his stolen visits to the daughter, and indeed seemed to wax more affectionate as the fortunes of his mistress were on the wane. Many months had elapsed since Wolfert had frequented his old resort, the rural inn. He was taking a long, lonely walk one Saturday afternoon, musing over his wants and disappointments, when his feet took instinctively their wonted direction, and on awakening out of a reverie, he found himself before the door of the inn. For some moments he hesitated whether to enter, but his heart yearned for companionship, and where can a ruined man find better companionship than at a tavern, where there is neither sober example nor sober advice to put him out of countenance? Wolfert found several of the old frequenters of the tavern at their usual posts, and seated in their usual places. But one was missing, the great Rom Rapoli, who for many years had filled the chair of state. His place was supplied by a stranger, 
who seemed however completely at home in the chair and the tavern he was rather undersized but deep-chested square and muscular his broad shoulders double joints and bow knees gave tokens of prodigious strength his face was dark and weather-beaten a deep scar as if from the slash of a cutlass had almost divided his nose and made a gash in his upper lip through which his teeth shone like a bulldog's a mass of iron-gray hair gave a grisly finish to his hard-favored visage his dress was of an amphibious character he wore an old hat edged with tarnished lace and cocked in martial style on one side of his head a rusty blue military coat with brass buttons and a wide pair of short petticoat trousers or rather breeches for they were gathered up at the knees he ordered everybody about him with an authoritative air talked in a brattling voice that sounded like the crackling of thorns under a pot damned the landlord and servants with perfect impunity and was waited upon with greater obsequiousness than had ever been shown to the mighty ram himself wilford's curiosity was awakened to know who and what was this stranger who had thus usurped absolute sway in this ancient domain he could get nothing however but vague information peachy praw took him aside into a remote corner of the hall and there in an under voice and with great caution imparted to him all that he knew on the subject the inn had been aroused several months before on a dark stormy night by repeated long shouts that seemed like the howlings of a wolf they came from the waterside and at length were distinguished to be hailing the house in the seafaring manner house ahoy the landlord turned out with his head waiter tapster hostler errand boy that is to say with his old negro cuff on approaching the place from whence the voice proceeded they found this amphibious-looking personage at the water's edge quite alone and seated on a great oaken sea-chest how he came there whether he had been set on shore from some boat or had floated to land on his chest nobody could tell for he did not seem disposed to answer questions and there was something in his looks and manners that put a stop to all questioning suffice it to say he took possession of a corner room of the inn to which his chest was removed with great difficulty here he had remained ever since keeping about the inn and its vicinity sometimes it is true he disappeared for one two or three days at a time going and returning without giving any notice or account of his movements he always appeared to have plenty of money though often of very strange outlandish coinage and he regularly paid his bill every evening before turning in he had fitted up his room to his own fancy having slung a hammock from the ceiling instead of a bed and decorated the walls with rusty pistols and cutlasses of foreign workmanship a great part of his time was passed in this room seated by the window which commanded a wide view of the sound a short old-fashioned pipe in his mouth a glass of rum toddy at his elbow and a pocket telescope in his hand with which he reconnoitred every boat that moved upon the water large square-rigged vessels seemed to excite but little attention but the moment he descried anything with a shoulder of mutton sail whether a barge or yawl or jolly boat hove in sight up went the telescope and he examined it with the most scrupulous attention all this might have passed without much notice 
for in those times the province was so much the resort of adventurers of all characters and climes that any oddity in dress or behavior attracted but little attention but in a little while the strange sea monster thus strangely cast up on dry land began to encroach upon the long-established customs and customers of the place to interfere in a dictatorial manner in the affairs of the ninepin alley and the bar-room until in the end he usurped an absolute command over the little inn it was in vain to attempt to withstand his authority he was not exactly quarrelsome but boisterous and peremptory like one accustomed to tyrannize on a quarter-deck and there was a daredevil air about everything he said and did that inspired wariness in all bystanders even the half-pay officer so long the hero of the club was soon silenced by him and the quiet burghers stared with wonder at seeing their inflammable man-of-war so readily and quietly extinguished and then the tales that he would tell were enough to make a peaceable man's hair stand on end there was not a sea-fight or marauding or freebooting adventure that had happened within the last twenty years but he seemed perfectly versed in it he delighted to talk of the exploits of the buccaneers in the west indies and on the spanish main how his eyes would glisten as he described the waylaying of treasure-ships the desperate fights yard-arm and yard-arm broadside and broadside the boarding and capturing of large spanish galleons with what chuckling relish would he describe the descent upon some rich spanish colony the rifling of a church the sacking of a convent you would have thought you had heard some gormandizer dilating upon the roasting a savoury goose at michaelmas as he described the roasting of some spanish don to make him discover his treasure a detail given with a minuteness that made every rich old burgher present turn uncomfortably in his chair all this would be told with infinite glee as if he considered it an excellent joke then he would give such a tyrannical leer in the face of his next neighbor that the poor man would feign to laugh out of sheer faint-heartedness if any one however tended to contradict him in any of his stories he was on fire in an instant his very cocked hat assumed a momentary fierceness and seemed to resent the contradiction how the devil should you know as well as i i tell you it was as i say and he would at the same time let slip a broadside of thundering oaths and tremendous sea phrases such as had never been heard before within those peaceful walls indeed the worthy burghers began to surmise that he knew more of these stories than mere hearsay day after day their conjectures concerning him grew more and more wild and fearful the strangeness of his manners the mystery that surrounded him all made him something incomprehensible in their eyes he was a kind of monster of the deep to them he was a merman he was behemoth he was leviathan in short they knew not what he was the domineering spirit of this boisterous sea urchin at length grew quite intolerable he was no respecter of persons he contradicted the richest burghers without hesitation he took possession of the sacred elbow chair which time out of mind had been the seat of sovereignty of the illustrious ram rapoli nay he even went so far in one of his rough jocular moods as to slap that mighty burgher on the back drink his toddy and wink in his face a thing scarcely to be believed from this time ram rapoli appeared no more at the inn his example was followed by several of the most eminent customers 
who were too rich to tolerate being bullied out of their opinions, or being obliged to laugh at another man's jokes. The landlord was almost in despair, but he knew not how to get rid of the sea monster and his sea chest, which seemed to have grown like fixtures or excrescences on his establishment. Such was the account whispered cautiously in Wolfert's ear, by the narrator, Peachy Prow, as he held him by the button in a corner of the hall, casting a wary glance now and then towards the door of the barroom, lest he should be overheard by the terrible hero of his tale. Wolfert took his seat in a remote part of the room in silence, impressed with profound awe of this unknown, so versed in freebooting history. It was to him a wonderful instance of the revolutions of mighty empires, to find the venerable Ram Rapoli thus ousted from the throne, a rugged tarpaulin dictating from his elbow chair, hectoring the patriarchs, and filling this tranquil little realm with brawl and bravado. The stranger was on this evening in a more than usually communicative mood, and was narrating a number of astounding stories of plunderings and burnings upon the high seas. He dwelt upon them with peculiar relish, heightening the frightful particulars in proportion to their effect on his peaceful auditors. He gave a long, swaggering detail of the capture of a Spanish merchantman. He was laying becalmed during a long summer's day, just off from an island which was one of the lurking places of the pirates. They had reconnoitred her with their spy-glasses from the shore, and ascertained her character and force. At night, a picked crew of daring fellows set off for her in a whale-boat. They approached with muffled oars, as she lay rocking idly with the undulations of the sea, and her sails flapping against the masts. They were close under her stern, before the guard on deck was aware of their approach. The alarm was given. The pirates threw hand-grenades on deck, and sprang up the main chains, sword in hand. The crew flew to arms, but in great confusion some were shot down. Others took refuge in the tops. Others were driven overboard and drowned, while others fought hand to hand from the main deck to the quarter-deck, disputing gallantly every inch of ground. There were three Spanish gentlemen on board with their ladies, who made the most desperate resistance. They defended the companionway, cut down several of their assailants, and fought like very devils, for they were maddened by the shrieks of the ladies from the cabin. One of the dons was old and soon dispatched. The other two kept their ground vigorously, even though the captain of the pirates was among their assailants. Just then there was a shout of victory from the main deck. The ship is ours! cried the pirates. One of the dons immediately dropped his sword and surrendered. The other, who was a hot-headed youngster and just married, gave the captain a slash in the face that lay it all open. The captain just made out to articulate the words, No quarter. And what did they do with their prisoners? said Peachy Praw eagerly. Threw them all overboard, said the merman. A dead pause followed this reply. Peachy Praw shrunk quietly back like a man who had unwarily stolen upon the lair of a sleeping lion. The honest burghers cast fearful glances at the deep scar slashed across the visage of the stranger, and moved their chairs a little farther off. The seaman, however, smoked on without moving a muscle, as though he either did not perceive, or did not regard the unfavorable effect he had produced upon his hearers. The half-pay officer was the first to break the silence, for he was continually tempted to make ineffectual head against this tyrant of the seas, 
and to regain his lost consequence in the eyes of his ancient companions he now tried to match the gunpowder tales of the stranger by others equally tremendous kidd as usual was his hero concerning whom he had picked up many of the floating traditions of the province the seaman had always evinced a subtle pique against the red-faced warrior on this occasion he listened with peculiar impatience he sat with one arm akimbo the other elbow on a table the hand holding on to the small pipe he was pettishly puffing his legs crossed drumming with one foot on the ground and casting every now and then the side glance of a basilisk at the prosing captain at length the latter spoke of kidd's having ascended the hudson with some of his crew to land his plunder in secrecy kidd up the hudson burst forth the seaman with a tremendous oath kidd never was up the hudson i tell you he was said the other ay and they say he buried a quantity of treasure on the little flat that runs out into the river called the devil's dan's camer the devil's dan's camer in your teeth cried the seaman i tell you kidd never was up the hudson what the plague do you know of kidd and his haunts what do i know echoed the half-pay officer why i was in london at the time of his trial ay and i had the pleasure of seeing him hanged at execution dock then sir let me tell you that you saw as pretty a fellow hanged as ever trod shoe-leather ay putting his face nearer to that of the officer and there was many a coward looked on that might much better have swung in his stead the half-pay officer was silenced but the indignation thus pent up in his bosom glowed with intense vehemence in his single eye which kindled like a coal peachy praw who never could remain silent now took up the word and in a pacifying tone observed that the gentleman certainly was in the right kidd never did bury money up the hudson nor indeed in any of those parts though many affirm the fact it was bradish and others of the buccaneers who had buried money some said in turtle bay others on long island others in the neighbourhood of hell gate indeed added he i recollect the venture of mud sam the negro fisherman many years ago which some think had something to do with the buccaneers as we are all friends here and as it will go no farther i'll tell it to you upon a dark night many years ago as sam was returning from fishing in hell gate here the story was nipped in the bud by a sudden movement from the unknown who laying his iron fist on the table knuckles downward with a quiet force that indented the very boards and looking grimly over his shoulder with the grin of an angry bear hark ye neighbor said he with significant nodding of the head you'd better let the buccaneers and their money alone they're not for old men and old women to meddle with they fought hard for their money they gave body and soul for it and wherever it lies buried depend upon it he must have a tug with the devil who gets it this sudden explosion was succeeded by a blank silence throughout the room peachy prawl shrunk within himself and even the red-faced officer turned pale wolfert who from a dark corner of the room had listened with intense eagerness to all this talk about buried treasure looked with mingled awe and reverence on this bold buccaneer for such he really suspected him to be there was a chinking of gold and a sparkling of jewels in all his stories about the spanish main 
they gave a value to every period and wolfert would have given anything for the rummaging of the ponderous sea-chest which his imagination crammed full of golden chalices and crucifixes and jolly round bags of doubloons the dead stillness that had fallen upon the company was at length interrupted by the stranger who pulled out a prodigious watch of curious and ancient workmanship and which in wolfert's eyes had a decidedly spanish look on touching a spring it struck ten o'clock upon which the sailor called for his reckoning and having paid it out of a handful of outlandish coin he drank off the remainder of his beverage and without taking leave of any one rolled out of the room muttering to himself as he stamped upstairs to his chamber it was some time before the company could recover from the silence into which they had been thrown the very footsteps of the stranger which were heard now and then as he traversed his chamber inspired awe still the conversation in which they had been engaged was too interesting not to be resumed a heavy thunder gust had gathered up unnoticed while they were lost in talk and the torrents of rain that fell forbade all thoughts of setting off for home until the storm should subside they drew nearer together therefore and entreated the worthy preachy praw to continue the tale which had been so discourteously interrupted he readily complied whispering however in a tone scarcely above his breath and drowned occasionally by the rolling of the thunder and he would pause every now and then and listen with evident awe as he heard the heavy footsteps of the stranger pacing overhead the following is the purport of his story end of chapter thirty five recording by greg giordano newport ritchie florida